So today we are, as Luke mentioned, um, surfing through the Old Testament wisdom books. And we've uh, made our way to the book of Ecclesiastes. Had a meeting this week with a friend, a Jewish rabbi, and um, wondered, you know, how does, how does your tradition approach the book of Ecclesiastes? And he gave me one word. Depression. And if you've read the book of Ecclesiastes, you may know exactly what he's talking about. It's a book about darkness. Not just darkness, but the kind of darkness that's unbearable. The kind of darkness that seems not to allow for any light to come in, maybe ever again. So I couldn't help but thinking uh, back to Tuesday night uh, when a community group that meets at our home. Right now we're working through uh, the Narnia Chronicles by C.S. Lewis. And we've been talking about a book called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Some of you have seen this artwork, cover of that book. And uh, the Dawn Treader is a ship. And these uh, children sailing off into adventures on the Dawn Treader with their friend, now it's hard to see this on the screen, but he's one of my favorite characters, Reepicheep, the mouse. Not an ordinary mouse, he's a talking mouse, he's a little bit taller than most mice, but I think because he's so short, I kind of have a soft spot in my heart for him. <laughs> one of the places that the Dawn Treader sails is an island of darkness, the Dark Island. And as they're sailing toward the island, they recognize that all light is disappearing. They decide to go on anyway because what's the point of an adventure if you turn back when it seems to be getting hard? They come across a man who says, turn back, turn back now, turn back whatever you do, turn back, don't go any further. And they ask him why and he says, because this is the island where dreams come true. Their first response is, so let's keep going, because that sounds pretty good. Might be reunited with loved ones. And then he says, no, 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 you don't understand. This is the island where all your dreams come true. Even the kinds of dreams that make you never want to sleep again. Turn back now. And King Caspian, who's in charge of the voyage on the Dawn Treader, says, turn, fly, row men with all your might. Reepicheep is offended by this because he's a brave and noble mouse. And the king says, Reepicheep, you don't understand. There are some things that no man can face. The book of Ecclesiastes works like that. It asks the question, what if all my dreams came true? What if I were a wealthy king? And I had all the time and resources in the world to try to find every path toward happiness in life. And what if I pursued every path and at the end of every one, I got everything this life has to offer and it was all meaningless and it was all darkness and despair. Some of you are thinking, how awful. How awful that there's a book in the Bible that would sound that depressing. 
And others of you are thinking, really? You mean even God knows how to speak the language of my heart? God doesn't run away from the darkness that hovers over my soul. God can afford to be brutally honest about depression and despair. Tell me more, please. If God says even the darkness is not off limits in the Christian community, I need to know that. So today we hear God speak about darkness so that we'll learn to listen for his voice. As Tom reads for us in a moment, you'll hear, we're we're reading from the New International Version, the King James, ESV, you would hear the phrase vanity, vanity of vanities. The NIV is going to use the word meaningless instead. Tom's going to read from the beginning of Ecclesiastes, and then we're going to jump 12 chapters, and we're going to hear the bookends, the end of the book. And there we'll hear the voice of a shepherd speaking into the darkness. Let's listen as we hear from the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 9 at the beginning. And as Jimmy said, at the end of the book, chapter 12, verses 8 through 14. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are worrisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Then chapter 12. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment and pray together.
Father, you know our hearts. You know that some of us can't bear the thought of looking honestly at the darkness because it seems like it would overwhelm us. Some of us have become so afraid of dealing honestly with that darkness that we try to numb our hearts to distract ourselves from it. Some of us have learned the hard lesson that there's no way to distract. Some of us live under constant cloud, and we have almost lost hope that light could ever break through again. Father, wherever our hearts are right now, would you be near us today? And help us to hear your voice, the voice of the one shepherd who is good and true. Amen. So have you seen the darkness? Nobody knows what a black hole looks like. People try to create images of what they might look like. understand the concept, right, that throughout the universe there's light, stars, galaxies, suns, burning, flaming, brilliant light that penetrates the darkness so powerful that it can travel across more miles than we can imagine and be perceived by our tiny little eyes. And yet there are points in this universe where even that brilliant light cannot be seen because the darkness consumes it. The teacher had seen the darkness, right? Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Who is the teacher? Just take a moment. Um, in Hebrew, he's called Kohelet. That's, that's the Hebrew word translated teacher here in the NIV. The book never tells us exactly who the teacher is. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Is that Solomon? Solomon was one of David's sons, and he was king in Jerusalem. If so, why not just come out and say it? Well, the book never comes out and says it. Possibly the idea is that no king was ever wise enough to see through the darkness. No matter which son of David you talk about. The teacher, Kohelet. It's a word that means one who assembles, one who draws things together, or one who draws people together. And so when it was translated into Greek and then into Latin, it came across as the the word we know, ecclesiastes. And ecclesiastes is one who speaks in an assembly, one who assembles a crowd together and then says something. So in English, we try words like teacher or preacher. Who is this teacher? Uh, One point, he's 
Don't confuse Ecclesiastes with Ecclesiasticus. That's another book altogether. It's a book in the Apocrypha. It's sometimes called Sirach or The Wisdom of Sirach. And it's a very helpful book that when you read it, sounds a whole lot like our uh, biblical book of Proverbs. That's Ecclesiasticus. We're talking today about Ecclesiastes, the teacher. What does he say about life? Well, he says it's meaningless. Other English words that translate this, vanity. Luke reminded us of that earlier. Futility. Some English translations use the word vapor, right? It's a mist. It's a breath. It's there and then it's gone. It's blown away by the wind. You, on a cold day, you puff out and you see it and then poof, that's it. Because this Hebrew word captures two concepts that are difficult to get one English word to do all the work. Useless and temporary. Maybe the best English word would be pointless. Pointless, pointless. Nothing has a point. What's the point of doing anything? Because no matter what you do, it won't make a difference. And so you work your way through 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes. You hear kind of this opening poem that Tom read for us in chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. It, it, it goes on, the poem ends in verse 11. And then, a, and then something happens. Instead of talking about the teacher, the teacher himself speaks. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom everything that's done under heaven. And then he goes on this sort of catalog saying, I sought wisdom through pleasure. I I sought wisdom through philosophy and scholarship. I sought meaning and purpose in hard work and labor and toil. I pursued justice and righteousness. I sought companionship, friendship. I sought political power and wealth. And at the end of it all, here is my message There's no point to any of it because no matter what you do, you can never do enough and it will never make a difference. And so the person who writes the poem to summarize the teacher's message at the beginning of the book puts it this way. If you want to know what the teacher taught, here it is, meaningless, meaningless. In in Hebrew, it would say, meaninglessness of meaninglessness. It's like you got all the pointless things in the whole universe and you piled them all together. You would have the pointlessness of all pointlessnesses. And it would be this purposeless, empty, futile, worthless black hole of darkness that sucks all joy and light and purpose and significance out of everything. And that's what the teacher found. Have you seen that kind of darkness? The kind of darkness that says nothing will ever be enough. The eye can never see enough. The ear can never hear enough. No matter how much you see or hear They will never be satisfied. All things are wearisome. No matter what you do, it won't make a difference. 
The sun is going to rise and the sun is going to set. The wind is going to blow. And you can try to change that all you want. Seek justice, my friend, the teacher would say. Won't make a difference. Maybe you're a just ruler and then you die and the person who comes after you will undo everything you did. Have you seen that kind of darkness? That's how the book starts. But Tom read for us from chapter 12 also. That's how the book ends. Chapter 12, verse 8. We've learned 12 chapters worth of this teacher's teaching. And here's the conclusion we've reached meaningless everything is meaningless and then something happens that raises a new question for us can you hear the shepherd because the teacher says that everything is meaningless and then we get this comment Not from the teacher, but from someone else. Chapter 12, verse 9. The teacher was wise, and he imparted knowledge to people. Wait a minute. I thought the teacher himself said that wisdom was meaningless. And yet he was wise, and he imparted knowledge to the people. He set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads, like the prod you would use to get an ox or a cow or a donkey to go where it needs to go. The words of the wise are like that. They can get you on the right path that leads to something good, something purposeful, meaningful. But wait a minute, I thought the teacher himself said there is no purpose, there is no meaning. So how could anything point us to meaning and purpose when nothing has a point? The words of the wise, really wise people know that there there is a path that you can get on that will lead you to something good. And the words of the wise prod you in that direction. And their sayings are like nails, firmly embedded, driven deep into the wood of our world. That gives us something to hold on to. You and I would never call these nails. We would call them tent pegs. But if we lived in the desert, we would understand how important it is to have really big nails driven deep to keep your house from blowing away when the wind comes. There is a kind of wisdom like that. The words of the wise are like that. They are gifts given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to those kinds of wise words. If there's a source of wisdom that tells you there is nothing to drive your tent pegs into, there is nothing that can secure you against the darkness. If you ever hear a voice like that, it's wrong. Listen to really wise words given by a good shepherd. 
See, the book of Ecclesiastes is kind of tough to understand. Here are three approaches to it. They all take us to the same conclusion, but they get there by different routes. I'll tell you which route I think is the best approach. They're similar, and as we're going to see in a minute, they all lead us to the same place. One approach to Ecclesiastes says that when the teacher begins to speak in chapter 1, verse 12, that is really not someone different from the author who wrote the first 12 verses of the book. That's really not someone different from the author who writes at the end and says, there, there is a kind of wisdom given by the shepherd that can anchor us and shine light into the darkness. This approach would say, this is a wise teacher, maybe someone like Solomon, who's got a baseball cap in his hand, and he says, I want all of you to know my pupils, my students. I want you to be wise, and I want you to know that if we were left to our own resources, if there were not a good shepherd to speak wisdom into our world, I want you to know what kind of darkness would result. And so, when I put this hat on in a minute, I'm going to be pretending like I'm in that darkness. And for 12 chapters, I'm going to talk like somebody who's an agnostic. I'm going to talk like somebody who believes there's a God out there, but we can know nothing from Him and about Him. And I want you to see what that darkness sounds like. Are you ready? So here I go. I'm going to put my hat on for 12 chapters. I've got the hat on. And then at the end, I take the hat back off and I say, now, if you read a lot more books like that, it's only going to weary your soul more, more, more significantly. So for 12 chapters, I'm playing the role of someone who's in the darkness because I want you to really understand that teachers like that, they have a good point. They are wise. They're right. If God doesn't speak into the darkness, there is no point. So hear me when I'm in the darkness and now hear me say, God speaks light into our world. That's one approach to the book of Ecclesiastes. The next approach is like it, but it says there's no pretending, there's no hat. This is someone like maybe a King Solomon saying, I really was in the darkness for a while, and I want you to hear my experience. So here I am now, have recovered my perspective on life, true biblical wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And now let me tell you what it was like when I was in the darkness for 12 chapters. Here's what life was like. All I could see was darkness. But now I'm in my right mind again, and at the end of the book, let me tell you what's really true. I did my best to find wisdom through my own resources and couldn't. Everything was dark and empty and purposeless and pointless. But now, thank God, I'm back in the light again. And I want to say to you, the shepherd is good. And his wisdom drives deep nails into the wood of our world. He speaks good news about his good purposes 
in this world. So the first approach is I'm, I'm going to pretend to be in the darkness, not to make fun of it, but to really explore it and, it, and let's, let's really grasp how deep it is. And the second approach is I don't have to pretend because I was there. And the third approach is um, a bit like a preacher who uses a sermon illustration and says, there's a wise teacher the next town over. And, and I heard him give this speech the other day about how empty and meaningless everything is. So I wrote it down, and now I want you to read it. On that third approach, most of the book of Ecclesiastes would, would be a document written by an agnostic with bookends delivered by a truly wise teacher who says, now you've heard where that kind of human search for wisdom on our own resources leads to, and I want to remind you, there's a good shepherd who says there is meaning and purpose. There is light in the darkness. No matter which of those approaches is right to the book of Ecclesiastes, they all take us to the same place. Most of the book is given from this perspective of deep darkness. But by the end of the book, the goal is to help us hear a different voice, the voice of a shepherd. Right? Some of you are going, whoa, wow. Never heard any of that before. The good news that we get to, no matter how we get there, no matter which of these approaches is the right one, the good news is our shepherd doesn't run from the darkness. Whether all the darkness in the book of Ecclesiastes came from someone really experiencing it and then telling us about it under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, the Spirit didn't run from the dark days of the teacher's soul. Maybe the book of Ecclesiastes is taken over from from a document written by someone who doesn't know God at all. God didn't run from that darkness. He said, yeah, yeah, let's listen to what human wisdom says. And, And maybe it's this wise teacher who pulls out his hat every once in a while and says... I want you to hear what the darkness really sounds like. I once preached a sermon in which I was talking about temptation, and I talked about how the voice of Satan sounds when you're in temptation. And after the sermon, some of the students at Covenant said, don't ever do that again. I was absolutely terrifying. Because I was like, yeah, no, I didn't change my voice at all. I mean, that's the thing. Satan doesn't sound like that when he tempts you, does he? My voice was just, you know, yeah, yeah, it would be really good to give in to this temptation right now. I'll give you more than you can dream. It was terrifying. Don't do that again. Don't pull the hat out anymore. Maybe that's how the book of Ecclesiastes came to be. No matter which of those approaches gave rise to this book, there's good news 
There is the voice of a shepherd who says, there is a path that you can get on that will lead you out of darkness and toward light. There is a nail that can be driven so deeply into the wood of our world that nothing can shake it, find it, hold it. Don't ever let go of that. Listen to the voice of the shepherd. The shepherd doesn't run away from the darkness. And if you're in the darkness, he has not run away from you. And I've been waiting all week to tell you that. And Sunday could not come fast enough. There's a good ending to the story of the dark island. They pick up Lord Roop, who told them to flee. They turn around, they start to see light again, and they come out into the light and they sail on to the next adventure. That's not my favorite part of the story. My favorite part of the story is what Reepicheep says, this little mouse, the bravest of them all. King Caspian says, we have to leave right now, Reepicheep. There are some things that no man can face. And Reepicheep says, then I am thankful, sire, that I am no man. There's some things so dark that none of us could bear to face it. But we have a good shepherd who has gone further into the darkness than any of us could bear to go. When God gave his people the book of Ecclesiastes, he knew He knew the story he was writing. He knew that story would include a chapter about his son who would enter into the darkness in order to redeem it. He knew that one day he himself would go further into the darkness than any of us could bear to go. If you are in the darkness... Jesus is with you. The darkness you're in might be caused by health. It might be caused by intellectual questions. How do I know God is real? It might be caused by trying to find satisfaction in a place that has lied to you. I want to take a moment to unpack what it's like when the shepherd speaks into that kind of darkness. I want to start with work. We read an article this week about workism. The article is not written from a Christian perspective. It's published in the Atlantic, secular journal. It's not a Christian magazine, not written from a biblical source. 
from a gospel orientation. And it says, here's what workism is. Workism is the belief that the centerpiece of your identity and life's purpose is work. Whether your work is work as a student, your work may be work as an employee, your work may be as an employer, your work may be work as a homemaker. Whatever your work is, workism workism is this new gospel that says your dream job, I'm just quoting from the article now, this is not me. And the article actually used this language. It described workism as a new religion. The article said, as traditional religion dies in our culture, it's being replaced by this new religion, this new gospel. And here's the summary of the gospel of workism. Your dream job is out there, so never stop hustling. That's Ecclesiastes, right? That is the book of Ecclesiastes. It actually says that about work in chapter 2. <laughs> All his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. What will work do to you? It will tell you. One day you will do enough that it will make you know that you matter. And it's a lie. And don't take my word for it. Listen to the teacher. Here's another quote from that same article. The problem with this gospel, your dream job's out there, so keep hustling. The problem is that it's a blueprint for absolute misery and exhaustion. Been reading off that blueprint? Been building your life according to that blueprint? Hey, all of us at some point do. And here's my theory. The closer you live to the heart of a city like Atlanta, the more impacted you have been by this gospel of workism. The closer you live to a big city where everybody's hustling to climb the ladder, the more this has sucked all the light out of your life. Here's the next quote from that article. Long hours don't make anybody more productive or creative. They make people stressed and tired and bitter. At the end of it all, here's what happens. Work is a false god, and it rejects the vast majority of its worshipers. You can take the word work out of that sentence and put the name of any idol there. And that's the problem with what I will call, we're going to back up a couple slides, religion. Religion says make something other than God the center of your life and you can find purpose in that thing, your work. And you can sometimes find some enjoyment in your work, but you will never find security because it will never be enough. So what you work for this great company, do you own it? So what you own that company, do you own the better one, the bigger one? So what? You can run a great company. Can you take a company that has been run into the ground and resurrect it? So what? You resurrected one great company. Have you done it twice? Never enough. That's what religion does. Never enough. The voice of the shepherd says, I'll give you purpose in your work because I'm a worker. I created the whole universe. 
I made it. I made you to be like me. I made you to be a maker. I made you to be someone who would shape the world through your work. I can give you purpose. And I can give you enjoyment. Real pleasure. And I can give you security. Because the meaning of your work won't come from your work. It'll come from something bigger than work. It'll come from me. And there will come a point when I will say, enough, well done, good and faithful servant. See, God sends somebody else into the world to do the work we cannot do. He sends his son Jesus to do enough that one day we can rest. Isn't that wonderful? What would it be like if you took that into your workplace this week? What would it be like if you became an apostle of this good news? That there's something other than darkness in our world. And that there's something bigger than work to give meaning to our lives. What would it be like if your classmates saw that you don't really let your life be defined by your grades? What would it be like if all the exhausted parents in your neighborhood saw that you weren't on the same treadmill of busy, 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 so you can crank out the perfect children? What if you could get off the treadmill and they could say, there's a different way? There's a different voice? I want some of that. A few weeks ago, an Israeli pastor visited here. His name is Pastor David. He has a daughter who's in the Israeli military. Every high school graduate is required to do two years of service in military there. And so um, if you're a Christian in Israel, it stands out and people know it pretty quick. If your dad is a pastor, they figure that out pretty quick. So this young woman is assigned her first job. You want to talk about meaningless, pointless, peeling potatoes, literally. First week of service in the army, peeling potatoes, singing, whistling, smiling. By the end of the week, one of her uh, colleagues came to her and said, I'm not sure what it is about you. I'm Jewish. I don't know anything about your New Testament But I went out this week and Googled joy in the New Testament. Because I want to know what makes you tick. What would it be like if in town was an army of 500 people going out from this place every week? Our lives and our lips preach something other than religion, something other than the treadmill something other than the darkness that always asks for more and more and more. What if we were this army that went out every week to let our lives and our lips say, there is a good shepherd. He knows more about the darkness than we ever will. And he was there when the nails were driven deep into the wood of our world. So that we could move into the light 
Well, he moved further into the darkness. Wow. As I said, Sunday couldn't come soon enough. I've been waiting all week to tell you 